Well, Happy New Year, guys. It's great to be here at 2021. Um, I realised yesterday it's officially one year since I started ministry, so we made it through the first year. <laughs> All praise to God for that, I think, because um, definitely had its challenges. And, and I love what Karen, you shared before, just about how the, the New Year is kind of like an on-ramp for us to kind of reset, recalibrate, get ready for, for the year that is to come. And as you can see on the screen behind me, expectation is our theme for today. If I haven't met you before, my, my name's Lockie and I'm one of the pastors here at Gold Coast Central. And I know we've got heaps of guests here today. So I'm wondering, for those that are our regulars, can we just give a huge round of applause to our guests? Um, welcome. It's great to have you guys here. We love you. We hope you feel welcome. We've actually got a gift for you as well. So when you leave, there'll be some guest services members out the back with some white bags. Go and say, hey, I'm a guest. I want my gift. And they'll give you a bag and they'll smile as well at the same time. So, so expectation, right? Um, a few months back, I had the unfortunate incident of having my uh, car's air conditioner break down. And um, if you live on the Gold Coast, you know that's a terrible thing, particularly if you drive a lot, right? Because we have this thing here called humidity. Um, and, and the result of that is that when you're driving and you're in a car, unless you have the windows down, like it, gets, it, gets, it becomes a bit of a hot box, right? It gets pretty sweaty. It's like you're in a sauna. Um, and because of my work, I get to drive around and do Bible studies and visits, and I love it. But when you don't have aircon in your car, it can become uh, not the most enjoyable experience. And um, if I did visit you in kind of like those September, November kind of months, you might have seen me just wearing like shorts and a t-shirt and always walking, looking sweaty and like having a shiny forehead. Um, that was why, because my aircon in my car wasn't working. Um, and, I, and I booked in to get it fixed, but because aircons are in such high demand here on the coast, it took like about a month basically for, for this um, aircon repair man to be ready. And it was actually scheduled to be fixed on a Thursday, okay? And the following Sunday, I was going to be taking a week off and going to see my friends uh, down just south of Newcastle. And um, I'd managed to find a pocket of time when it was like legal to cross the border and go back. Seems to be like few and far between at the moment. But um, I'd found a pocket of time and the Thursday before it was going to get fixed, and that's important to know because it's about an eight-hour drive down there, okay? Um, and this Thursday before, I, I actually call the guy on the Wednesday and I say, hey, um, do you mind if, sorry, not do you mind, are you still good for tomorrow morning to come and fix this aircon? And he said, oh, man, I forgot to tell you, the part didn't come. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm not going to be able to fix it tomorrow. And I, 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 was, I didn't want to be very Christian then, but I kind of had to be and just said, oh, that's, that's okay. I'll just have to touch base again after and um, we'll, we'll sort it out then. So I, I get to drive down to Newcastle with no aircon in my car and I actually had a mate that was coming with me and I didn't break the news to him until the morning of because I knew he'd probably bail on me otherwise. Um, so we got to drive down with like the aircon slightly down and it, it was almost, it was like on the verge of storming the whole way. So it was just a really beautiful, humid day. Um, spent the week down there and then came back, similar situation. But then finally, three weeks later, I got my aircon fixed. So my aircon's fixed now, which is amazing. Um, but that's a, that, that little story that kind of illustrates that it doesn't take a lot uh, for us to get let down by, by people or by circumstances. And I think COVID-19 definitely um, provided sufficient opportunities for us to become disappointed or discouraged last year. Would that be fair to say? Um, and, and as I've been visiting and, and, and chatting with people over the last few weeks and months, one, one theme that's been coming up pretty regularly, actually, is that there's just a lot of people feeling a bit flat, a bit discouraged, a bit down. Um, and so my, my prayer for today, and as I've been preparing this message, I hope that we leave today just feeling a sense of encouragement and a sense of expectancy for what God is going to do in 2021. So that's what today's message is all about. Um, so why don't we pray and we'll get into it. Father in heaven, I, I thank you for your word and that we can dive into it together today. Lord, I ask for you to speak through me, to rid me of myself, and to give every single one of us receptive hearts to what you're saying and what you're doing. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. If you have a Bible, would you open to uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 40? It's one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. And just as a bit of a context as you're turning there, um, Isaiah is actually a prophet. So he's writing um, on behalf of of God to the people of Israel, God's chosen people. And he's writing about 100 years before they were to go into exile. Now, the reason they were going into exile is because they had been very unfaithful to God. Um, They were actually worshipping other gods. They were um, growing into into a life that was very opposed to the way God wanted his representatives on earth to live their lives. And they're on a trajectory towards towards exile when Isaiah is writing. But there's actually a pivot point in the book of Isaiah. And chapter 40 is the start of that pivot point. Um, And there's kind of a few theories about how this was um, to to be. And uh, I guess the main one that scholars are ground at the moment is that these were some of the scrolls that Isaiah wrote and were sealed up for the time when Israel was coming out of exile. So Isaiah is actually writing as if he's in the future and talking to Israel as they're coming out of exile. Okay, so hopefully you can make sense of that. But this is Isaiah 40. This is where we're picking up in verse 26 today. And I have no doubt that um, Israel would have been feeling a bit of discouragement after, you know, several generations of being in exile in a foreign nation. But as we come to this passage, we see just a great encouragement from Isaiah for his people as they're coming out of exile. And I don't know about you, but uh, a lot of 2020 did feel a bit like exile for me. So this is, I think, a very uh, apt passage for us to be looking at this morning. So Isaiah 40, verse 26 Here we go. It says, look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He, being God, brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. You might be thinking, okay, well, how is that supposed to be an encouragement? Um, I'm not the best mathematician, but I did a little bit of maths to kind of illustrate what this verse is, is trying to say. Um, if you know much about astrology, you'll be aware that we live in the Milky Way galaxy. And this Milky Way galaxy has approximately 150 to 250 uh, billion stars in it. Okay, so that's, that's a lot of stars. So if we were to uh, pretend to be God for a moment and, and say that God was going to count each of these stars by name... And do like one per second. So he goes around, he does like Phil, Murray, Chloe, Jacob, Karen. And it does that for every single star in our galaxy. It would take him 6,342 years to name every single one of those stars. And that's just our galaxy. Okay, so that's just the Milky Way, which is a small pocket of the observable universe. But we're going to go a step further now and look at the amount of stars in the observable universe that scientists have been able to, to see. Now, it's not exactly this number, but it's around this number here. Hopefully, it's going to come up. Can we get that next slide? Sorry, Shane. Anyways, there it is. So that's a one with 21 zeros behind it. Uh, it's one billion trillion. That is the number of stars approximately, not exactly approximately, in the observable universe. So if we were to do that same exercise and, and God was to count out one per second, every person by name, the amount of time it would take him to do that, can we go to that next one, please? Would be 31 trillion, 709 billion, 791 million, 983,764 years for God to count that many stars. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that's definitely an amount of knowledge or wisdom that is far beyond my ability to comprehend, right? That, that, is, that is a power and a knowledge that exceeds anything that I could ever achieve or understand. I think even collectively we could, 
achieve or, or I understand. And, and as I reflect on that and I, and I think of where Israel find themselves and I ask that question, well, why is God writing this to them? Why is he saying that God calls the stars by name, that he knows every single one of them? And I think it's because when we face discouragement or when we're feeling down, one of the first things we actually forget is the magnitude of God. It's the power of God. Because, because when, we, when we remember how big God is, how, how, how powerful he is, we realize that despite any appearance of the contrary, that, that God doesn't wake up any morning and be like, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming today. But like, he, he, he's got a wisdom and a knowledge that is just far greater than we could ever comprehend. But as we keep reading in verse 27, if you go to that next one, please. It says this, O Jacob, which is the name that Isaiah gives to Israel, right, to, to the nation of Israel. O Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? O Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? This might seem a bit out of place in this passage, but it's really interesting to reflect on this because this is actually kind of the, the preconceptions that the world around Israel had at this time. Their understanding of God and of the divine was that the gods, and yes, I mean the gods, they were polytheistic, meaning they observed or believed in many gods, that the gods were far away. And at best, they didn't really care or they were pretty apathetic towards humankind. And so the relationship you were supposed to have with the gods was to try and appease them or to, to please them or to make them like you or bless you. And these are kind of the lies about God that have started to seep into the way Israel understands Yahweh, their God. Because they're asking these questions, well, God, you don't see our troubles. God, you're, you're ignoring our rights as human beings. And these are kind of the lies of, of the people of Babylon and Assyria and the surrounding nations that were feeding into the way Israel understood their own relationship with God. And I wonder what, what lies the world around us have that are kind of feeding into our lives as well. The world we live in is, is actually defined by, by a word that um, sociologists call post-Christianity. Right? It's not the same as pre-Christianity where like, uh, there was a, a group that had never heard of Jesus and so missionaries would go and share Jesus with them. It's actually post-Christianity. And the features of post-Christianity are that we, we live in a society today that wants the benefits or the perks of Christianity, things like um, the agreed-upon moral standing or the, the moral grounding of, of how you live your life or um, things like being a good person or doing good things. They want that, but they don't want the God attached to it. Another way of saying it is that they want the kingdom without the king. They want the Christianity without the Christ. And this is the kind of world that we live in. And there are some implications for that, that that can very easily fit into the way that we understand our faith journey or our own experience with God. And one of those lies is that well, all I need to do to, to kind of be a good person is just to have like good morals. That if I have good morals, that that's all I, I kind of need to do. And I'm not saying that's bad, but that's kind of one of the things that, that this post-Christian world tells us. Another thing that it tells us, which can be a bit... Um, destructive to faith is that um, you're actually a really good person that if you do good things it makes you a good person and that's actually challenging to the gospel because the gospel of Jesus says that you're actually not a good person it actually it's a very offensive message because it says without God like you're broken you're hopeless and that, that's tough for us to grasp because we've been we've been told um, through through means of you know getting a participation award by every race that we do or like being told that you know, we're, we're really good even though as kids we sometimes mess up. And, and I'm not saying that we don't tell kids they're valuable and that they love because they completely are, right? But if we neglect the fact that, that we actually are sinful people, not just sinful by what we do but because of who we are as, as broken human beings, we miss the magnitude of the gospel because when we recognize our own brokenness, it makes the cross of Jesus that much better. 
Because as, as Romans 5.8 says, that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. He, he died for the version of you that was most broken, that was most sinful, that was most far from him. He didn't just die to make you a little bit better. He died to give you life, to bring you from death into life, into a renewed life here on earth and life eternal in heaven with him. That is what the good news of the gospel is. And so we keep reading. In verse 28 and 29, it says this. Have you not heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary, and no one can measure the depths of his understanding. So again, we're reminded of the magnitude of who God is, of how great and mighty he is. And as we reflect on that, we think, well, that's cool, but why is it that I should make him my God? And as we go to the next verse, it actually gives us reason as to why we can make God our God, because it's not just that he has power, but it's what he does with that power that makes me want to follow him. Because with that, that magnificence, with that power, with that might, with that strength, it says he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. There have definitely been moments in this last year when I've felt weak or powerless or helpless, when I felt down, when I felt discouraged. But I want to give you hope today and encouragement and let you know that God gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. That we need only ask, that we need only reach out and ask for his help. He's not trying to, trying to hold back from, from blessing us or from, from guiding us in our lives. He actually has strength for you. He has power for you. And he wants you to receive that. And so we come to one of the most beautiful promises in the whole Bible. Isaiah 40, 30 and 31 says, Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall into exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. And I love that illustration of the eagle because uh, I don't know if you know much about eagles or the way that they train their young, but, but a lot of the time they'll actually put their young on their backs and fly to uh, really high up and then they will teach them how to glide and actually how to fly. And then they'll keep doing that multiple times until the eagle has learned how to fly by itself to the point where that, that young eagle can then go out and fly on its own. And as I reflect on that for our own journeys, I, I realize that God actually wants you and me to soar in this life. That he doesn't just want us to be grounded or feel stuck where we find ourselves. But he wants us to, to, to walk with him, to work with him, to, to follow him, to become more like Jesus. And that when we do that, he will actually teach us what it means to truly soar, to truly take on life with a renewed energy, with a renewed strength. But there's kind of a phrase here that's like a, a little pivot point in terms of how we actually receive this. How, how do I get that kind of life where, where I'm not feeling constantly discouraged or down or stuck or helpless, like there's no future for me? How do I get past that? And it says at the start of verse 31 that those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. Other translations in the one you're reading might say those that wait on the Lord. And that word wait can often be a very passive thing, right? It's something we think, oh, I'm always forced to wait like it happens to me. Like when I'm stuck at the lights for what feels like half an hour every time. <laughs> or when I'm standing in line at the grocery store on Christmas Eve and there's like 50 people in front of me and I'm forced to wait. Or when I'm trying to load this video on YouTube and it's taking half an hour because the church Wi-Fi just isn't that fast for whatever reason. <laughs> Thanks, Bridget. Someone got it. 
It's like we often think of waiting as something that happens to us, right? But the word waiting here is actually, it's actually a verb, right? And what's a verb for all our students? It's a, it's a doing word, right? It's, a, it's something we do. So if, if waiting is something we do, it's not something that we kind of have to wait for circumstances to come to us. But it actually, this word waiting in the Hebrew can also mean anticipating or expecting or waiting with great expectation, Waiting with great expectation. A visual picture of this is probably not so much like standing in line, but it's more like the start of a, of a, like a running race, right? Where, where everyone lines up, they've got their marks, get set, and they're ready to go. They've got that energy built up, ready to go. They're waiting for that gun. It's like a, a build-up of energy. It's not something passive or laid back that happens to us. No, it's, it's actually more of a heart posture of expectancy. It's a heart posture of saying, God... I believe you're moving. I want to see you move and I'm ready for that. I want to look out for that. I want to be a part of that. Right? Waiting on the Lord is not like sitting there and hoping God moves. Waiting on the Lord, trusting in the Lord is a very active thing. And I wonder, what, what if we applied that to our lives? What would, what would change for us? Maybe when you go to like church each week, you'd actually pray with great expectation that God is going to move powerfully. Maybe when you go to your own like daily prayer time or Bible study time, you would bring the same excitement to that as you would to like a big camp or a summer camp. I had one pastor share with me this thought once and, and he said, you know, oftentimes the, the high points of our, our faith journey, those massive events, right? Like the, the big camps, the summer camps, the, the other camps, the conference events, so those really high moments, they're kind of the spiritual heights. And he pointed out rightly, I think, that we bring an expectation to those events that we don't bring to other parts of our walk with God. And I want to be clear that bringing an expectation to something isn't the same as twisting God's arm because it's not us that makes God move. Bringing an, a heart posture of expectation is all about us saying, yes, God, I want, you to, I want to see you work. Because I believe God is working, right? And, and a heart posture of expectancy actually is going to position us in a place where we're ready, where we're excited about it, where we're wanting God to work. And, and I think if we brought that same expectation to our daily walks with God, to church every week, to our life groups, to those big events as well, I think we'd see ourselves coming out of that space of discouragement or feeling a bit stuck into a place of, yeah, I'm, I'm actually feeling like I'm having my strength renewed because I'm open, I'm willing, I'm ready for God to work. I've seen quite a lot of memes floating around at the moment of um, people saying, yeah, all those people that said 2020 is going to be your year, just like don't do that this year because when you did it last year, it didn't turn out too great. <laughs> but I tell you what, I'm willing to actually stand before you today and say that 2021 is going to be one of the best years yet. Not because I'm going to do anything special or I'm going to, it's not, not because of me or anything like that, not because of you. No, but it's completely and wholly because God is working. That, that God is actually growing this church. You know, we came out of COVID 19 with more people than we went into it with. Like, like that's, that's God. That's not me. That's not Mike. That's not our tech team, as amazing a job as they do. That's because God is working and He's looking for willing and available people to be a part of that work with Him. And so as we go into 2021, I'm willing to stand before you today and say that I'm believing firmly that God is going to grow this church bigger than ever before. Not just with ex-Adventists or other Adventists that are coming in, but with people from like the streets around here. 
from people in the rain, from people on the Gold Coast. I'm willing to stand before you and say that we're going to have more life groups by the end of this year than at the start of this year because God is going to awaken in our hearts a desire to reach out to our community, to see the Holy Spirit move in our households, in our families, in our friendship groups, in our schools, in our workplaces, in every part of our lives because when we bring an expectancy and a willingness to see God move, He is going to be faithful to honour that. Jesus put it this way. He said, The harvest is plentiful, but the work is a few. So I invite you this year to join the work. And that starts by bringing a heart posture of expectancy. It starts by saying, yeah, God, I want to see you work. I'm excited about seeing you work. And I want to be a part of that work. And so as we come to the kind of the conclusion of today's message, I want to challenge you firstly to cultivate in your own heart that desire to see God work. And if you're wondering how do I do that, look at his track record, right? The first place you can look at God's track record is in the Bible. See the way that he used discouraged, downtrodden, broken people to do incredible things for his glory. We've actually got a whole community of people around us here, right? Another place that you can see God's track record is, is actually to, to speak to other people about it and say, hey, how have you seen God work in your life? What stories have, have you got to share about how God has moved? On our church YouTube and Facebook page, we actually have testimonies of people in our church telling stories of how God has moved. And I love that we got to celebrate again Chloe's baptism today because she is an example of how God has moved in our community. And the final place you can look to see God's track record is to reflect on your own life. Maybe you need a help, maybe you need help to, to try and see that and you can get that in a life group or through chatting with like Michael, myself, or one of our elders. But I believe God is working in our lives and as we reflect in our own lives, we'll see ways that God has led us and guided us. It's not always easy to see in the moment, but I think as you look back in 2020, God did some incredible things. But for as long as you have breath in your lungs, there is more in store. God is doing more. God is doing new things. God is doing powerful things. And I just want to invite you as a church to be a part of that with me this year. I'm believing God is going to continue to take us to new heights because we're going to bring a commitment like never before to see him work, to see him move, to see our church grow. I reckon by the end of this year, we're going to see so many new faces here that like we're not even going to know everyone. And that's exciting. That's exciting for me because we're not just here to grow Gold Coast Central. We're here to grow the kingdom of God. We want to see the kingdom of God grow across the Gold Coast and beyond. And so as I pray now, if you want to be a part of that, if you want to bring that heart posture of expectancy to this year, would you just join me in just raising your hand as I pray? This is something between you and God to say, yep, God, I want to be a part of this. You know, he sees that. He's excited about that. Why don't we pray together now? Heavenly Father, I thank you for each of these hands raised. All these people saying, yep, I'm in. Count me in. We're going to take on 2021, but we're not going to take it on by ourselves, Lord. We're going to take it on by pursuing you harder than ever before. Lord, we want to see you move in new ways, in powerful ways, and we are excited about that, God. Lord, I praise you for all you are doing, all you have done. And Lord, I'm asking with great anticipation for you to move in a more powerful way than ever before in 2021. God, we just give you all the glory in advance what you're going to do. God, we love you, we believe in you. And we claim this promise from Isaiah 40, 31 in Jesus' name. Amen.